The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what's up guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Uh, today we have episode 65. At the end of the episode, we will have Ain't No Messiah chapter 13. Hope you guys are enjoying that story. We are now at the halfway point. I thought something cool um, to add to this podcast would be also to share one of the stories from Untold Mayhem. Uh, I think I mentioned it last week. I'm really enjoying the multicast that they gave us. Uh, these The cast narrators are pretty awesome. They make each story stand out. And today we will share a very short one, the shortest one on there. Uh, it's called No One's Home. That's uh, kind of a sequel to uh, No One's Here, which was on... Um, Twisted Reunion, another very short one. So we will play that in a tiny bit. Actually, you know what? Let's do that right now. So again, this is way different than Ain't No Messiah. This is dark. This is horror type uh, writing. Uh, could be disturbing if you have kids listening. I would turn it off. Uh, listen to it when you're by yourself in your room. Maybe no one's home with you. That'd be perfect. Um, all right, so here it is. This is Angelo, what's this guy's name? Angelo Di Loretto. Uh, I think he did an awesome job. Check it out. This is available on ACX uh, through Audible. Find it anywhere. And this is off of Untold Mayhem. Hopefully you guys enjoy this one. Here it is. No one's home. No one lived in this apartment over 30 years ago. This is the bedroom I shared with Mother when she wasn't working. It was a different bed then, nowhere near as comfy and nice. This one is soft, the black silk sheets so slippery. Mother's sheets were all different colors, piled in the corner until I'd taken them downstairs to the laundry, my hands getting gross and sticky. No one rarely slept in Mother's bed because she worked every night she wasn't bleeding. There was a pillow in the closet where I curled up when I tired of her show. The closet door no longer has slats to peek through. The walls are painted a pretty blue. The room smells of roses and happiness instead of semen and sadness. Lots of times I'd silently cry myself to sleep, but not tonight. No one couldn't be happier to be back. No one likes to remember to see how things have changed. The rest of this city is just as dirty as it's ever been, but this apartment's found new life, a young couple giving it their best shot. Instead of our scratchy brown rug covering the faded floorboards, there's a thick dark carpet that hides any sign I was here. Seventeen sets of renters have lived here in the last three decades but none of them knew how much of Mother's blood was soaked up by the wood they walked on. She'd been sitting right there, combing her hair for her next visitor, no warning, before my knife slit her throat. I slide off the bed and slip on Marty's sandals. At first it felt strange to be stepping into another man's shoes, but after what we've shared, it only seems right. Marty's the good-looking guy cuddled next to Maggie in the photo on the dresser, 
Maggie and Marty forever, etched into the wooden frame. On the door to Mother's rough-up room, there's a huge poster of Maggie with her winning smile, a big thumbs-up in front of a for-sale sign, her phone number blue and bold on the bottom. Her office is tiny but clean, everything organized. Nothing like the whips and chains, masks and gags Mother laid out on her workbench. It cost extra to go in that room. Mother always coming out limping, a new bruise or black eye as part of her bonus. The living room is just as small as I remember. Their oversized couch and widescreen TV filling up the space. No one was rarely allowed in this room, though, because this is where men waited while Mother cleaned up or finished off a friend. The parking spot is only ten feet from the front door, and it's easy to hear the car pull in and shut off, a door open, then close. I ease into the kitchen, careful not to slip on the slick tiles. I press my back to the wall and slide out my knife. Smile when Marty opens the door, calls for Maggie. He closes the door, turns the lock. Maggie, you here? Hey, hon, you in the kitchen? No one stays silent as his footsteps come closer. No one knows what's going to happen, how he'll freeze when he sees what a mess I made out of Maggie, pieces of her scattered across the floor. Sorry, Marty. No one's home. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that one. Probably makes a little bit more sense if you've listened to No One's Home. I believe that's up on SoundCloud. Might be on my website. Uh, in fact, I'll probably put this one up on SoundCloud. I need to start doing that. Start putting my stuff out there. Um, just really been too bombarded with and overwhelmed with everything. Trying to do everything myself. And when I can barely squeeze in an hour, maybe two hours of writing time. I don't have a lot of time to do marketing uh you know and and all the other things that are expected of an author um so i'll do what i can and uh enjoy it the i just got a cool email back from a publisher that's interested in checking out uh, my brain book i wrote to them uh, just with the initial idea asked them if they'd be interested and they want to check out the proposal so i just sent that off we'll see what they think also sent them the paying the price article. I think that's a good uh, indicator of my writing style and also what the book's about and the message I'm hoping to give with that. Uh, if you haven't seen that or listened to that, I think it was on a couple episodes ago, or you could always just go on my YouTube page and find that. Um, um, so yeah, that is on my YouTube page. You could find it there. And uh, yeah, so what else is going on? Um, a lot of good stuff happening with uh, Try Not to Die in the Pandemic. Every night I'm going over about two or three of the new scenes, trying to figure them out in my mind, trying to make sure everything's believable. Um, one really cool thing that happened uh, while going over the first couple eps uh, first couple scenes was I realized what happens at the very end. Um, it just made it a little bit more exciting, a little bit more, I just raised the stakes a little bit. So that's really what I'm doing on this draft. I'm trying to make it as believable as possible, um, more exciting, 
uh, John already did an incredible job. He laid out all the groundwork. Um, now it's my turn to go in, put my little twist on it. Then I'll give it back to him, let him try to match up the voice. Uh, you know, I, I'm probably going to change it too much my direction. So I'm going to want him to go back and kind of blend it. And then after that, I'll take one last look and it's to the editor and we'll have the book out. So that one, if all goes well, um, I mean, that's my number one thing I'm working on right now. As soon as that's done, I will jump onto the brain book and try to get some brain stuff going uh, this month. But I'm guessing most of this month is going to be focused on uh, Try Not to Die in the Pandemic. Yeah, Try Not to Die in the Pandemic is going to be a very action-packed book. Um, I just clocked it the other day. I was trying to think like, okay, from the moment that the excitement starts, which is like chapter four, there are some cool things that happened prior to that. But the, most ex the, the main event starts on chapter four, from that moment until the end of the book is really only about an hour, which is super fast. So I think we'll definitely be able to claim that this is the most exciting hour you will ever have on a cruise ship. A lot of death and destruction, a lot of running and hiding, and a lot of sad stuff. Um, but it should be a very powerful book, should be a good book. I think people are going to enjoy it, and I can't wait to see what that's coming out what it's going to turn out to be um we also got the cover for beyond Brightside. i'll show you that right here here it is bam um my buddy june did an awesome job with that uh so that book is i'm not sure when it's coming out but it'll be sometime this year so if all goes well we will have four releases this year for sure three we have trying not to die in Brightside. we're definitely having trying not to die in the pandemic and definitely beyond Brightside. Uh, the one I'm not sure of is uh, trying to die super high. Uh, it will probably be finished this year. Well, it will be finished this year. I just don't know if it will be released this year. There's probably not a huge rush to get it out. Um, and it takes it makes more sense to get more reviews and spend a little bit more time on it. So not sure what month that will be coming out. But that's pretty much it. That's all we've been got going on over here. Um, I want to go spend some time with my son. He's been waiting on a Lego battle. Um, we've been doing some cool stuff together. He's a little frustrated because he would like my time all the time. And I love him. And I want to spend all my time with him. But I also need to get some stuff done like this. So even him being patient watching this uh, is hard on him. And he's there sitting there with a sad face looking at me. So we need to work on that. Uh, but I'm going to leave you guys with Ain't No Messiah, chapter 13, and I will be back next week. All right. Stay safe. Stay sane. Stay positive. All that good stuff. Later. Chapter 13. Three days later, a little after nine o'clock in the evening, I was dropped off at the university's front gates. It said something across the arch, but it looked like Latin, and I had a hard enough time with English. The trip from Georgia to Texas hadn't been easy. Buses and trains, a whole lot of walking, a blur of cars flying by, a few drivers willing to pick me up. I'd gotten a couple of hours of sleep here and there with my arms in a death grip around my duffel bag, but I was running on adrenaline. The campus was beautiful, green grass and huge trees, just like the pictures Jeremy had shown me. Five giant brick buildings flanked each side, kids my age strolling around, a couple with backpacks, none like my sorry sack full of ratty clothes. They were having fun, talking, laughing, no threat of violence. Most had phones in their hands. 
Jeremy's dorm was fourth on the right, the massive front door propped open with a rolled-up newspaper. Room 13A was at the last door on the left. The door was closed, so I knocked. A guy in a brightly colored Grateful Dead shirt opened the door holding a controller, and he didn't look happy about being interrupted. Yeah? I looked past him, but couldn't see anyone in the room. Does Jeremy live here? Used to. He started to close the door, but I'd come too far for that and blocked it with my foot. Maybe I wasn't the Messiah, but I was also no longer someone to mess with. I said, do you know where he lives now? The guy huffed, but still answered. He's on the third floor. I pulled out my foot, went up the stairs, 14 rooms, only two with their door open. I had to ask three people about Jeremy before I found someone that asked. Is that the camera guy? I asked, and she pointed to his room. I knocked on the door, a girl inside. Fuck, oh, fuck me. She kept going, then stopped mid-fuck a second before the door opened. Jeremy's hair was past his shoulders, a bit of a pudge sticking out over his shorts. God damn, Josh! He slapped my shoulder and brought me inside, tossed my bag by the door. How the fuck are you, you big son of a bitch? The room held a bed and a desk with a mountain of clothes between them. I said, I'm good. Jeremy sat down at the desk where there was an empty two-liter bottle of Coke, three slices of cold pepperoni pizza, and an enormous computer monitor, its screen filled with muted porn. So what the hell are you doing here? You really fucking did it. I had to. Danielle wrote you got out, said you and your brother. Yeah, talk about mistakes. Jeremy noticed the clock and said, Oh shit, I gotta get going. He picked up a pair of jeans from the top of the pile and slipped them on over his shorts. Want to go to a party? What I wanted to do was curl up on his bed and turn off the lights, but I said, sure, I guess. Jeremy grabbed the black T-shirt laying on his desk. It'll be cool, he said. I'm going to be working it, but you can hang out. We'll catch up after. I mumbled, yeah, all my attention on the computer screen. In a room not much bigger than the one we were standing in, a naked man and woman were doing things I'd only dreamed of, showing the things magazines only hinted at. The movies I had watched at Laura's had it all wrong with their gentle, sappy romance. Nice, huh? These people weren't trying to make babies. These two looked like they were trying to hurt each other and loving every minute of it. Is this a disc? Nah, all downloaded. I got over 90 gigs. I had no idea what a gig was, but it sounded like a lot. You never leave your room? Research, man. I worked on this most of the summer. You got any idea how popular this shit is? His fingers flew across the keyboard, ending with one tap at the end. Watch this. I'd rather have continued watching the sex, but suddenly it was gone, replaced by a white page with words all over, half of them highlighted in dark blue. Drunk college sex. He must have seen I wasn't getting it because he pointed at the numbers below it. 22 million results. He clicked another button and it went to a screen full of miniature videos, each with an apparently drunk girl doing something naughty. Jeremy clicked on the first video, ten minutes long, over 500,000 hits. There's money to be made. I was paying attention, but not to what he was saying. The new video had me mesmerized. Jeremy put the sound on so we could hear the guy slamming into the chick bent over the couch, his foot pinning her head to the cushion, his hand smacking her ass red. I asked, are they acting? Every one of us is acting, especially if a camera is on. All the times I'd thought of being with his sister, Danielle, it'd never been like this. Do they make a lot of money? Do they know each other? 
Jeremy put on his shoes. Those two? Nah, this is supposed to be real college kids, but you know that's bullshit unless the same chick goes to different schools all over the country. I got her in at least a dozen different scenes. Jeremy pointed at the screen. But it's what you want to get close to. Look at the quality of it. The girls look nice, but keep it real. That's what people want. Fuck, this could be me. Squint my eyes a bit and get a nice point of view, and all of a sudden, I'm balls deep. Balls deep. I'll let you figure that one out on your own. So all those other sites are like this? They all have movies like this? A lot of them are pay sites, but man, there's enough free stuff out there to keep you busy the rest of your life. The guy kept plugging away. And the girl kept springing back, yelling at him to give it to her. I wouldn't mind trying. You wouldn't want to. There's some sick shit on here. You don't worry about your neighbors hearing it? He thumbed the wall. This one's a skank. Every night someone different. And the dude across the hall's an asshole, so fuck him. Everybody else does their own thing. Ain't no big deal. Jeremy slicked back his hair and sprayed some cologne. Come here, he said. You need this more than I do. I declined because I wasn't ready to get up with a boner. My eyes were glued. I couldn't believe he was watching it. Jeremy stepped over and spread me three times for good luck. He grabbed a black pouch off the desk and opened the door. Got to go, dude. The party was five blocks away and we were both breathing heavy when we got there, Jeremy said. Let me do the talking. A big guy wearing a red and black jersey with number 72 on it stood in front of the door. The numbers rattling from the base, glimpses of guys and girls all over each other inside. The guy took a swig from his Budweiser can and looked at me long enough to let me know we weren't going to get along. He asked Jeremy, Who's this jerk off? Jeremy patted my shoulder. This is my boy Josh. He's going to help me tonight. As if trying to impress us, the guy crushed the can on his thigh and tossed it on the pile in the corner. How? Holding your little dick? We're filming stuff. He nodded at Jeremy's pouch. You got another camera in there? Come on, Wyatt. He just came here all the way from South Carolina. No one will ever know he's here. Wyatt looked at me and then back at Jeremy. Twenty bucks. Jeremy asked if he was serious. I don't got to let him in at all. Jeremy turned to me. I don't have any cash. I had less than a hundred left, but there was no way I was finding my way back to Jeremy's room on my own. I pulled out the money. Four hours of hard labor to walk past a man no better than me. Wyatt opened the door, stopped Jemmy with a finger to his chest. Keep an eye out for my sister. Let me know if she gets out of line. Jeremy agreed and went inside, waved me along. The music was pounding, pulsing through my shoes. People everywhere, the floor slick. First things first, Jeremy yelled as he led me into a side room with a keg. Come on, let's get something to drink. I remembered what happened the last time and said no thanks. He filled two red cups and handed me one. It's a party. I took the cup, glad to have something to do with my hands. Maybe just one. Jeremy pounded his and threw the empty away. He took out his camera and headed to the dance floor. His camera crept left to right, took in the bodies upon bodies. So much skin, hands on hips, tits shaking, everyone having a good time. The camera stopped at the curvy blonde in a checkered blouse and tight shorts grinding on a jock's thigh. The blouse was unbuttoned, her huge boobs swinging in a red sports bra, her skin so smooth and shiny, glistening with sweat. The girl looked up, and I looked away, finished my beer. Jeremy moved around to the right, but I went back to the girl. She smiled, and I held up my cup and pretended to drink. She kept watching me, her smile even bigger. While she shook back and forth, she held up her cup. Let me see, it was empty. 
I pushed past everyone to get out of the room and made my way to the keg. Jemmy found me there with my back to the wall halfway through my third beer. He had me follow him upstairs. A couple of people were in the hallway, and a skinny guy was passed out in the corner surrounded by bottle caps and red cups like they'd run out of chalk for the crime scene. Jeremy stepped inside the first room to film a group of guys circled around a table, taking turns trying to flip a quarter into a cup, everyone else drinking from their mug whenever a person made it. Someone ran up behind us and smacked Jeremy's butt. Jeremy spun around and turned the camera on the curvy blonde from the dance floor. Easy, girl. What's up, Riley? You cool? She came right up to me, her baseball cap level with my chest, not seeming to notice she'd just spilled her drink on her bare feet that were black all around the edges. You're new. Jeremy saved me. This is Josh. He's going to be the next heavyweight champ of the world. The great white hope. Riley's cheeks were the same red as her hat, and so big there's no way she'd get past Mrs. Durrington without a squeeze. Sounded like she believed him. She said, that's awesome. Where do you train? Vegas? Jeremy stepped back, the camera taking it all in. He doesn't like to talk business. Maybe you can show him around. Love to. Riley grabbed my hand, put my other one on her waist to lead me down the hall. The first female I'd felt since Kara. She stopped at the doorway with a desk in it, a tray of small cups on top. She handed me two of the cups filled with yellow jello and ate two by herself. Go ahead, she said. They're yummy. It had been a while since I'd eaten anything, and I thought I'd feel better if there was something in my stomach. I wanted to touch her again, have her hand on me, so I downed them both and told her she was right. Riley laughed and gave me two more, said to stay close. She peeked her head into a red-lit room, but backed out when someone said, We're busy. At the end of the hall, there was a large trash can filled with a dark punch and pieces of fruit floating in it. Riley dunked two cups, careful to get us each an orange slice. I'd finished off half mine when the guy she'd been dancing with walked up to me and asked, Who the hell are you? Wyatt said I was cool. Well, then he lied. You heard him, Riley said. Wyatt cleared him. We'll see. The guy took off, said, Dirty ho, loud enough for us to hear. Riley just smiled and took my hand. Don't worry about him. He's just mad because he thought he was going to get some. I'll take another drink because I had nothing to say. Riley moved in closer. Know what? You're fine. She put her hand on my chest and ran it down my stomach, wrapped her fingers around my belt. I couldn't believe her hand was so close, especially with people around, but I didn't complain. She started down the stairs, pulled me by the belt. Come on, we need to dance. I put on the brakes. I wanted her against me, but dancing was out of the question. It's easy. Without even looking back, she stuck out a finger, flicked me twice to verify I was rock hard. You just got to stand there. No amount of embarrassment was stopping me. I followed like a little puppy. My drink finished by the time we hit the dance floor. She guided me to the back wall and put my hands on her ass, started grinding against me. She pulled me down and slipped a tongue in my mouth. It was obvious I didn't know what I was doing, so she went to my neck and started to lick. Someone shouted Riley, and she grabbed my hand, dragged me to the stairs. I asked what was wrong, but she just shook her head, acted like everything was cool as she filled up our drinks at the trash can. My balance wasn't what it should be, so I put my back to the wall and held on to the railing. Riley put me into a room where two guys were standing in front of the television, white guitars strapped around their neck, music blaring. They're good, I said. Where's their singer? Riley laughed. 
Want to give it a shot? My mouth watered and I shook my head no. I don't feel so good. She went back to rubbing my chest. Shit, you feel wonderful. Just need to relax a little. I couldn't think. Just let her pull me along until we were inside the red light room. She eased me on the couch and undid my buckle. I tried to ask what she was doing, but she leaned in and kissed me. Freed my top button, she wrapped her hand around my dick while undoing her shorts. Feel me, she said, taking my hand until I felt wetness. My finger slipped inside her, no curtain getting in the way, a closeness I'd never felt. The most incredible flood of feelings washed over me, an animal taking its new form. How could it be wrong? Charles would say I was sinning, doing something so awful it could land me in hell. I put in another finger and moved my hand faster, figured it couldn't be worse than killing a man. Riley bucked her hips and jerked her hand, bit down on my shoulder, but not hot enough to hurt. From the hallway, someone shouted, Jeremy, where the fuck is she? I kept my hand where it was and turned to see Jeremy with his camera back up from the doorway. Who? Wyatt walked up to him. Who the fuck you think? I heard she's... He looked into the room and saw me. You motherfucker. Hold on, Wyatt. Wyatt shouted, She's 17! And sent Jeremy flying. Riley jumped up and pounded Wyatt's chest with a fist, her shorts puddled at her ankles. You're such an asshole. Wyatt shoved Riley out of the way and turned toward me. You're fucking dead. I put my dick away, buttoned my pants. Don't think so. From the hallway, Jeremy said, Keep it cool. Fuck him. Go get the brothers. They'll want to see this. I got up, not sure what I could say. Jeremy stood in the doorway, camera rolling. Leave him alone, Wyatt. We'll take off right now. Fuck that shit. The room was spinning, but all my attention focused on Wyatt. Jeremy said, be first. And I listened. I threw the hottest left hook I could, caught the side of Wyatt's head and knocked him onto the couch. The crowd of people in the doorway hooted and hollered, screamed at Wyatt to get up, but he was out cold. One of them said, holy shit, who's this dude? I stared at them, at every guy that could come after me. I used father's voice and shouted, I'm the motherfucking Messiah. Everyone got quiet, then started laughing. A couple of them cheered. We squeezed into the hallway, and I was surrounded by guys wearing black and red, many of the same size as Wyatt or bigger. I looked for the first guy. I was going to cast judgment upon, promised myself I'd hurt at least one. A guy with glasses stepped up to be their spokesman, agreed Wyatt had it coming, but he was still a brother, and I had to leave. I said that's all I wanted to do, and thanked them for asking so nicely. Finally, some respect. It was two days later, and I was on another bus, the sun sinking into the desert. I wanted to close my eyes, but if I did, I'd fall asleep. I couldn't risk missing my stop at the end of the line and returning to the start. The night after the party, I passed out in a park to celebrate my 18th birthday. The next night out wasn't much better on a bench in the bus station, arms wrapped around my bag. I needed a bed. I should have known I couldn't stay with Jeremy, even if the fight hadn't happened. When he told me I better split, he said it wasn't my fault. What the fuck did I know? But I could tell he was pissed. The buildings flew by, all the stuff I'd been missing. The streets were filled with cars on either side. Drivers, young and old, some singing, some talking, most with a phone to their face. The size of some cities and all the stuff they had amazed me, the bright lights mesmerizing. We passed a sign that said 30 miles to Albuquerque. There was no one sitting next to me, so I slipped off my shoes, sank down across both seats, 
I asked myself what the hell I was going to do, and nearly cried because I had no damn idea. I had $48.57 in my pocket. I've been living on $7 a day thanks to the dollar menu and the stack of refillable plastic cups in my bag. I was never the best at math, but I knew it didn't give me long to get a job or find vents. The plan for the military had been blown to bits earlier that morning. The Marine recruiter laughed. The Army recruiter said it was impossible. My size, my injuries, no GED, no chance in hell they'd accept me. A girl's voice said, Hey, but I kept my eyes closed. She said it again. I slipped on my shoes, hoping that might have been what she wanted. I leaned back and told myself to ignore her if she spoke again. You were on the news, she said. It was the girl directly across the aisle, and there was no question she was talking to me. She wore black boots and tight jeans, a jet black shirt to match her hair, which bobbed at the bottom of her neck. I knew I'd seen you. My heart stopped, my mouth dried. All I could think of was Uncle Jim's favorite show, America's Most Wanted. They must have found Dusty traced me to his murder. You're him, right? I think you got the wrong guy. She wagged her finger at me. It's not nice to tell a lie. Isn't that a sin? I told her I was no one and wondered if anyone else was listening. Why would I be on the news? Yeah, she said, her smile growing. You're even wearing the same clothes. I shook my head. Where are you from? Not around here. She leaned in. Say it. I'm the motherfucking Messiah. I want to hear it without the bleep. All those phones filming, me not even thinking about it. I just told her sorry. Hope she'd drop it. She dug a phone from a pocket. Your dad saw the video, too. Put out a reward. She pointed at me. There was a flash and a click. Erase that. She smiled and took another one. Why? You're not bad looking. No need to be shy. I held up my hand to cover my face. Please don't. She put her phone away. I'm just screwing with you. I made up the reward part. Oh. So what's your name? There was no point in lying, so I told her. She said her name was Naomi. Where are you headed? Good question. Tell me. I meant I don't really know. You're just cruising along, headed wherever? Just going with the flow? Yeah, but mostly west. I pulled out the crumpled map from my pocket. I got this. She sat there for a second. Wow, that's pretty cool. Just traveling the land, spreading the good word and all that. Not quite. So does that mean you don't have any plans? Pretty much. Naomi rubbed her hands together and squealed. Now you do. You're taking me to the fair. The fair? The church by my house. Everyone's going to be there. I'm not too big on churches. You don't have to pray or anything. It'll be fun. I better not. Give me one good reason, she said. Everyone will be there. Relax, we'll have a good time. Thanks, but I need to keep moving. Naomi thought she was so cute sitting with her feet curled beneath her, head tilted to the side. Are you going to make me call your daddy? She went back to her phone. Before I knew what she was doing, Naomi turned around, leaned over, and snapped off photo. Me and the hashtag messiah. Imagine how many likes I would get posting this. I didn't think she would, but couldn't take the chance. Fine, I'll take you. 
We got off three stops later. I held my bag in my left hand so she could hold my right. She said we weren't moving until I did. Naomi had a grip on me that felt like she thought I might run, which is exactly what I wanted to do. I could hear the screams and shouts from three blocks away, the bright lights beckoning in the darkening sky. I hadn't realized I'd stopped walking until she tugged my arm. Come on, she said. This is going to be fun. I seriously doubted it. People were hanging upside down, swinging so fast I couldn't see them, the screams piercing my brain. My chest getting a little tight, my head even foggier than I'd been. I shook it away and looked for an excuse. What about my bag? She walked me to where the fence and church came together. Sit it down over there. It's all my stuff. It's a church. I figured she knew better than I did, so I put it down and leaned a discarded piece of cardboard over it. She said, that'll stop them. Who? She headed for the ticket booth. You're funny. The wrinkled old lady behind the desk held out her hand, said it was five dollars each. Naomi laughed when I asked if that got us food. No, but there's all kinds here. We'll get some after the rides. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. So many people all in one place. So many people having a good time. Men and women. Boys and girls holding hands, laughing. Naomi pulled me along through the aisle. Booths with food all around us. I held on to her in case she let go. Everything smelled delicious, but the prices killed my appetite. Five, six, seven dollars. She stopped at the longest line at the end of the aisle. You old enough to buy a beer? I wasn't sure, but told her no. You look it. Go get one. I don't have a lot of money. Don't be a cheapskate. I waited my turn and asked for a beer, my six bucks, all they cared about. When I handed Naomi the drink, she turned and walked a few stalls down. In two large gulps, she finished half the cup. A woman from behind me said, Naomi! Naomi pushed the cup back in my hand. Oh, hi, Miss Jackson. Who's your friend? The woman looked like an overripe pear in a purple dress, her lower half all big and squishy. I tried to shake her hand, but she kept her arms crossed. How old are you? With the beer in my hand, I wasn't sure how to answer. Naomi answered for me. Old enough? Miss Jackson shook her head. Your aunt's here. I suggest you go find her. The lady walked away in a huff. I asked Naomi who she was. My biology teacher from last year. I hate that bitch. The next ten minutes was spent with Naomi dragging me from booth to booth, pointing to the prizes she wanted me to win. Pennies slid off plates, balls banged off rims, rings bounced off poles, and twenty dollars later, all I'd won was a tiny teddy bear. I told you I never played this stuff. You weren't lying. No big deal. They're just stupid games. Naomi tugged my arm and spilled some of her second beer on my pants. Let's go on the rides. There was nothing I wanted to go on. Everything was too fast, too loud, too bright. Then I saw it. A massive, multicolored pole reaching into the sky. A man with a sledgehammer sitting on a stool beside it. What's that one? She looked where I was pointing. What's it look like? Hit it as hard as you can. I let go of Naomi's hand and walked up to the fence. I asked the old man in the baseball cap, How do I win? He pointed at the pole, the lower three-quarters of it bright yellow. Sounding like he was reading it off a card, he said, 
Orange is a small toy. Green a large. Ring the bell and the hundred dollars is yours. Three tries for five dollars. Highest hit counts. A hundred dollars. He pulled a bill from his pocket and set it on his stool. Used his cap to weigh it down. With his thin fingers, he slicked down a few stringy clumps of oily hair. Real as it gets. Naomi squeezed my arm. You're going to do it. I just know it. I didn't believe in fate, but I had a good feeling and paid the man. The hammer was heavier than it looked. I put it over my shoulder and stepped into the spray-painted square in front of the target. From back by the fence, Naomi said something stupid about swinging it hard, and the old man sighed like I was wasting his time. I concentrated on the little black circle and brought the hammer high. Mid-swing, Naomi yelled, Don't miss it! And that's exactly what I did. The hammer slamming into the asphalt, the vibration stinging so sharply I had to drop it. People behind me were laughing. So was Naomi. She said, What did I tell you? Embarrassed, I wanted to run, but I couldn't do that. I picked up the hammer and turned around, looked at her the way father did when he wanted mother to listen. Can you shut up for a minute? Everyone got quiet and I got into my stance, focused on the black button until it became a small log ready to be split. I raised the hammer high and brought it crashing down, the wrath of God. The bell rang before I could look up. Then boom after boom, the electronic backup flashing lights and colors, the God of Thunder had returned. People were cheering behind me, hooting, whistling, some saying I got lucky. Naomi jumped on my side and yelled in my ear, I shook her off and went up to the old man, looking up at the lightning. Oh, sorry about that. Just never seen when anyone hit it. Never? Been doing this twelve years. It sounded like it was new to all the people huddled around behind us. Everyone tried to get a peek at the guy that was going to walk away with a hundred dollars. The old man picked up the bill and stuffed it in his pocket. This one's not real. He nodded behind me and said, my boss will take care of you. He didn't look like the kind of person who'd have a boss, but the guy he was looking at didn't look like a boss with his braided red hair and bushy beard that swished back and forth over his blue polo. The man walked past the growing line and stared up at the display, stroking his beard as he waited for the thunder to pass. Amazing. We shook hands and he introduced himself as Owen and said, I run this place. Another round of thunder boomed overhead, lightning flashed. Absolutely amazing. Owen admired the line that had grown to twenty deep and then disappeared behind the pole. A switch flipped and the backdrop went black. The old man yelled, Batter up! Who's next to win the big money? Owen came back and looked at the crowd. He pulled a large wad of money from his pocket. You think you could do it again? Probably. He counted off five twenties and put them in my hand. You wouldn't be looking for a job now, would you? I thought there was no way he could know, and then I realized how I looked. Sort of. What do you say about coming along with us? Hit this thing once or twice a night to show people it can be done. Are you serious? Always am. The job's yours if you want it. I'll pay you 50 bucks on top of the normal wage. If you can ring it again. I had no idea what normal wage was, but 50 alone would be worth it. When can I start? Right now. I'll put Abe on cleaning crew. There's just one thing I need. Owen narrowed his eyes. What's that? The girl in jeans behind me. 
That's a beer she's holding. No big deal, Owen said. Just tell her to keep it quiet. Don't make a fool of herself. No, I want her gone. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.